Good morning, everyone. I hope you're doing well this morning. Some of you prayed for uh, cooler weather and rain, didn't you? <laughs> I think uh, what has surprised uh, some of us the most in post-Hurricane Matthew around here is the lack of rain. And uh, if you're visiting here on vacation, you see the debris and you see all the trees and everything piled up, and uh, we've had a, a lot of cleanup work to do. But what you may not realize is that about a month ago, we had 19 inches of rain one night, and we've had nothing since. So, um, you know, you mix uh, d dry debris with Christmas lights, and you might have some fire. So I'm just saying. So I'm glad it rained. So thanks for praying for rain. Hey, uh, my name's Todd. I'm the lead pastor. For those of you I don't know, I'm glad that you're here this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Hebrews chapter 11. But before we do that, um, I just want to pray. Um, I, every year before, the week before and the week after a presidential election, um, I, I, I feel like we need to pray for our country, and uh, particularly this year, uh, I feel like we need to pray for our country. Um, you know, one of the things you'll never hear from me is any kind of endorsement. Uh, you'll never hear me talk about, uh, you know, politics in detail, but I do believe, because I believe that it's the job of the church, and it's my job as a pastor to teach from God's Word, from the Bible, and uh, that our message is the gospel message, not any kind of political message, and so... Uh, but you will uh, hear me tell you to vote, <laughs> which I did uh, last week several times, and you'll also uh, hear me say that we need, <laughs> that we need to pray. And uh, so I'm going to ask you if you would pray, and uh, there's a lot going on uh, in the world, not just here in the United States of America. So would you join me um, in a word of prayer? Father God, thank you so much uh, for the opportunity that we have uh, to live in a free country. And God, regardless of whether or not our candidate or candidates or party that we like or follow or support won or lost, we want to recognize that you are in charge. Daniel 2.21 says, you, God, change times and seasons. You remove kings and you set up kings. You give wisdom to the wise. You give knowledge to those who have understanding. And we today recognize that you are in control. And Father God, I pray that you would be with our country right now. God, I pray that you would be with the transition of power that takes place over these next few weeks. I pray that you would be with President Obama and Vice or, uh, President-elect Trump. God, that you would be the God of a peaceful transfer of power. And God, with the riots or uh, the protests that some have moved into riots, God, I pray that you would be the God of order and of peace, that you would bring America together, that you would heal us, that we would be humble, and that we would seek your face first and foremost. And God, I pray for things all around the world. God, I pray for the country of Haiti. God, as they're still recovering from Hurricane Matthew, I pray for um, God, um, New Zealand got hit this morning with an earthquake. God, I pray for places that we don't know about or even hear about, Father, where people are suffering and in need. And God, I pray that we would turn our hearts and our focus to you, the one who can heal, the one who is sovereign, the one who can provide, the one who is over every leader and nation. And right now, as we dive into Hebrews chapter 11 and finish out this series, Father God, I pray that you would lead us, and as we just sang about, that your Holy Spirit would lead us to a place of understanding of your word this morning. 
May the words that I speak not be mine, but God, may they be yours. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I also realize that uh, a lot of you probably are tired and weary because in addition to uh, many of you, I'm probably sure like myself, stayed up later than you normally would stay up on Tuesday night last week. And then the week before, a lot of us stayed up on a Wednesday night to watch uh, the Cubs win uh, the World Series for the first time in 108 years. Yeah, all right. Yeah, are you excited about that? There we go. I'm a Braves fan. So anyway, that's a whole other story. And uh, some of you uh, probably were up last night watching the underdogs, uh, you know, be very successful in college football. And uh, my Bulldogs very successful in college football, and I'm pretty happy today. So go dogs. But uh, I recognize that with everything going on in life and our community recovering uh, from Hurricane Matthew and what a difficult time it's been for Hilton Head in the South Carolina Low Country, I realize that a lot of you walked in today and you are tired. I'm tired. We're weary, aren't we? So much going on in the world, so much going on in our country and in our region and in our world. And I just want you to hear this morning that as we finish up Hebrews chapter 11, that each one of you, myself included, each one of us, we have a God who cares about those who are weary, and we have a God who cares about those who are tired, and we have a God who cares about those of you who are feeling muscles in places that you haven't felt in 50 years, okay? So we have a God that we can trust. We have a God who answers our call, and he hears our cry. And today, as we come to a conclusion of Hebrews chapter 11, this series called Life Without a Net that we've been in that began as um, really an eight-week series, and it's kind of expanded to like a 10, 11, 12-week series, depending on how you look at it, because we had Hurricane Matthew. Um, my prayer for you is, is that you would take one more step in your faith journey, that you would go forward in your trust in the Lord, and that if you're here today and you've never put your faith or your trust in Jesus, um, that today might be the day that you do that. A.W. Tozer said the Bible recognizes no faith that does not lead to obedience, nor does it recognize any obedience that does not spring from faith. The two are opposite sides of the same coin. And throughout this series, we've discussed the idea, and we've talked about the idea that our faith, when it's really exercised, comes when we have some kind of call or leading or command or act of obedience that God is clearly saying that we should do or not do or action that we should take or action that we should stop or, or, or you know, act of obedience. It comes at a point when God is calling and God is leading through his word or through God's Holy Spirit or through people in our lives that, that are godly people in our lives, faith comes when that happens and when you and I have this choice or decision or opportunity to decide to follow God or to not follow him. That's when our faith is most visibly exercised. And it can be in small things. It can be in simple things that, that really are just like kind of like testing our faith in a small way. Or it could be in huge life-changing decisions for our family or our communities. 
And as we filter through kind of these, this last 11 verses of Hebrews chapter 11, this chapter that's called the Hall of Faith, I want you to view what we're going to be talking about today and what we're going to be reading through the lens of the fact that there is an intersection for each of you, for myself included, every single day of our lives where we hear or sense or, or see God leading. And we have the opportunity to make that decision. And that's where faith is worked out is in those small moments. Last week, we talked about Moses, and we saw that in the life of Moses, this one that was, as a baby, put in a, in, in, you know, in a river and sent down the river, and, and the, uh, the king, uh, the pharaoh of Egypt, his daughter, ended up finding this baby, and he became a prince, the prince of Egypt. And so Moses was this one who had all the opportunity to use every entitlement that he had for his benefit, and he chose not to do that. And I believe what we learn about our faith or what we learn about faith in general from Moses' life is, is that our faith really becomes purposeful uh, when you and I make the decision to reject worldly entitlements and really pursue those spiritual things that God has given us, that spiritual surrender in our lives. We have to make room for faith to be exhibited in our lives. And we do that when we say no to those worldly entitlements, those worldly things that we feel like we're owed, and pursue the things of God. And so many of the things that he has given us as a result of being adopted by the king. And so that's what we learned about Moses. And today what we're going to be doing is really kind of in a very quick way uh, coming and kind of summarizing these last 11 verses. Similar to how Hebrews is actually written here, it kind of brings things to a close very quickly. And so we're going to be taking a look at this and we're going to cover some of the, maybe the more obscure characters in the hall of faith, but we're just going to cover their lives very, very briefly. I want to move on to practical lessons that you and I can learn and that we can take home tomorrow from this great passage here at the end. So Hebrews chapter 11, you can read along with me silently. The words will be on the screens or you can follow along in your Bible or on your device, whatever you have this morning. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 29. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down and they had been, after they had been um, encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say, the writer of Hebrews says, for time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and Samson and Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Other, others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and in caves of the earth. And here's where we're going to land in these last two verses today. Of whom the world 
was not worthy. Wandering about, excuse me, uh, wandering about in deserts, mountains, caves, and dens, and, and caves of the earth. Verse 39, and all of these, though commended for their faith, and I want you to say this last phrase with me, did not receive what was promised. And he goes on and says this, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Now, we're going to be taking a look today at these, these different characters very, very briefly. All right? This isn't a character study per se. And so we're just, I'm just going to summarize these different characters, which are kind of put into example format into four different groups. I'll talk about that in a moment. But we're going to very quickly come to two observations that I want to make today about faith as the writer brings things to a conclusion here at the end of Hebrews chapter 11 and, and lessons that we can learn from those observations. First and foremost, we have these four examples, four groups of examples of, of more heroes of the faith. You know, more obscure heroes. We don't know their names as well, but certainly heroes of the faith. The first example is the Jewish people. They, they walked on dry land. No one has ever walked on dry land through a sea or through an ocean. For that matter, through a body of water. God did the miraculous thing. We'll come back to that in a moment. He, he, he chose to lead them out of their captivity in Egypt into their place of freedom by going through the Red Sea. So what was an obstacle in their sight became their path to freedom because God was in control. And we kind of like forget that often. All right, so we have the Jewish people, but we also see them in terms of Jericho because in Jericho, uh, they were following God's specific act of obedience and God did an amazing thing there in Jericho. And so the first example we see is the faith of God's people, the nation of Israel, the Jewish people. And so we see that and it kind of dovetails into the second uh, uh, person or second example, which is, which is Rahab. And, of course, Rahab was this prostitute, this harlot, um, who you know, clearly did not like live for God. But in the moment that she was faced with God calling, God telling her to do something and a choice, she made the right choice. And essentially, she saved a group of people when the walls came crashing down in, in, in Jericho there by her obedience to God's command. Okay? And then we have the third group of people. We have these unlikely heroes. And he lists them. And, and by the way, if you want to do a great study, these different characters here in this third example, Gideon and, and Barak and, and Samson and Jephthah, um, they're all found in Judges 4, uh, 5, 6, and then uh, Judges chapter 11 and Judges 13 through 16. This all happened, everything he's talking about here happened before Israel had its first king. And so you had judges and you had prophets that were leading the nation of Israel, and of course priests, and they were leading the nation of Israel. And you have in these characters, these unlikely heroes, Gideon, who even in his own words said that he was the least of his house, household, his father's household, and yet he, he led the nation of Israel to one of its most dramatic victories against the, the Midianite army. army. We have Barak, who um, wouldn't go into battle as a great warrior until Deborah, this woman of God, went with him into battle. And we see his faith credited as righteousness. We have Samson. Many of you know the story of Samson and, and Delilah, who um, had his uh, weaknesses. He, he was a man who made some poor choices, didn't he? He had bad judgment. 
But you know what? When it came to doing the things of God, he was ready and prepared to do that. And the same thing with Jephthah, this one who was the son of a harlot, used bad judgment throughout his life, made a deal uh, with God, uh, so to speak, and so he made some poor choices. But when it was time to follow God in obedience, in a moment of faith, he was used by God in a mighty way to also destroy an enemy. And then you have this fourth example. Uh, probably the most familiar names of David and, um, and the one who really got like found him was used by God to, to find David, who was Samuel. And you have in David's life the story about a shepherd boy who became king. And God used him in a remarkable way. And by the way, incidentally, you have at least two people there that were used by God to bring Jesus into the world. Because the line of Jesus went through David, and it also went through Rahab. God uses us even in our weakness. God uses us, uses us even though we may be sinful. He is going to use us when at that moment where he's leading, at that moment where we see in his word we're supposed to follow in obedience, and at that moment where there is this moment of choice, we choose to follow God. That's where our faith is made incredibly real. And incredibly apparent. Okay, two observations and some lessons that we can learn from this passage as, as the writer kind of brings this hall of faith to a conclusion. First and foremost, the first observation that I want to make this morning is this. There is a huge difference between faith in God and presumption. There is a huge difference between having a deep, abiding, strong faith in God and presumption. And here's what I mean. There are times in our lives where we attribute an action that we might take to having faith in God. And in reality, all we're doing is presuming that things are just going to work out for us. And when we presume that like things are just going to happen to work out, that is not faith. Are you with me? That might just be following what's popular in that day that happens to work out. And I believe we do this all the time. We might make the right choice to do something in our lives and it seems righteous and it seems holy, but we're just doing it because we know it's going to work out for us because we've watched someone else before us do that thing and it worked out for them. That's not faith in the God of creation that's just following someone else. Now, there are examples, and we see here great examples of all these different people who are heroes of the faith, and there are things that we should follow, or there are things that we should do from their lives. But when we watch someone else have some kind of epiphany or, or, or faith act, and we just follow them, all we're doing is following them. We're not following God. And it's played out right here with the, the story of the, the nation of Israel and the Egyptians. I love this. Again, verse 29, by faith... The people, the Israelites, they crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. And there are the Egyptians. And they're watching them, right? They watch this group of people that's two million strong, two and a half million strong, walk across the Red Sea, walk through the Red Sea. And the Egyptians decide or presume in their minds that if they did it, we can do it, right? They made a presumption or an assumption that they would follow this group of people because it just worked out from them. Did it work out for the Egyptians? <laughs> Not even close. And let's admit, there's like a little part of us that we, when we read the story, we watch the movies, 
we kind of get glad, right? I mean, that's just kind of the, like the nature of being human, right? You see the bad guys destroyed because the waters come crashing down and God's people go right through into their freedom. There's a huge difference between faith and presumption. Because if we presume that everything is just going to work out instead of having faith in God, that is not a faith that will lead to action. And when that thing that we presume about fails us, we're going to turn to something else. So I think the lesson that we can learn is, is that when we follow someone, it's act, someone else's act of faith, we're simply watching them do that. It's really not faith in God. And here's the question that I have for you today. Are you taking that faith action? Are you about ready to take that faith action, that thing that you know where God is leading? Are you taking that because it is God leading, or are you just following someone else? It may be that God leads you to do the same thing, and it may be that God uses that godly person as an example, but don't just follow them. Check it with God. Don't be presumptive. Be a person of deep faith. Second observation is this. None of these people in this whole chapter, not one of them, ever lived to see or experience the, the beneficial results of their faith. Not one of these people in Hebrews chapter 11 ever lived to see the results of their faith. David wanted desperately to, to, to rebuild the temple. And God wouldn't let him do it. Moses wanted to see these people get into the promised land. And guess what? It wasn't Moses that led them there. It was Joshua who led them there. None of these ever really got to see the, the, the living and breathing like results, or the positive results of their faith. Verse 39 says, And all of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. But don't miss this. I want you to think about this for a moment. Don't miss this. If, if we view uh, faith through the lens of, of simple results and, and what's beneficial to us in our faith, if we view Hebrews chapter 11 that way, that can be a discouraging chapter in Scripture. Am I right? Like if we view it through the lens of just results, that can be incredibly, incredibly discouraging. And that's not, that's not even the point of faith. In fact, that's the lesson I think we can learn from that observation. The point of faith is not found in the realized results. It's found in the faith itself. It's found in the faith itself. When you and I learn to hear from God, when we learn to seek his word and follow him, and we hear and sense that he is leading and calling us to an action or away from another action, and we follow him, and we're the first ones to do it, we're the ones that are standing strong in our faith, um, that's when our faith is made strong. The problem is, is that we live in such a results-oriented world that if we can't see the immediate results of, of our faith, sometimes um, we start doubting ourselves or our faith, or we start doubting God. Or we doubt that next time we could follow in that same faithful act because we're a society that's just focused on results, results, results. Those of you who are in business or those of you who have a business or those of you who work for a company, you get this, right? 
Um, you, you don't go home at the end of the day and say, man, um, you know, today was a successful day just because I worked hard. Right? I mean, just work hard, pay the bills. Checking it off on a list, man, that was a very, very, like, hard-working day. That's awesome. Hard work's not going to pay the bills. What pays the bills? Income, right? Production. That's what the world tells us. Results, results, results. My, my dad is, is in here today, and um, he, I didn't ask him if I could share this illustration, but I know him well enough that he's fine with this. But my dad and uh, his wife, Carol, and, and my sister, Katie, are here today. My dad worked for a company um, called Lanier Business Products uh, for 32, 33 years of his life. And it's, it was a great company, and uh, uh, he was in sales. And Lanier um, sold, sold office products and that sort of thing. And um, he was there for 30 years. That's a plus. That's a long time. And I remember when he had his 30-year anniversary with that company, and Lanier was um, known for, like, people who, you know, had good results and had good sales. They were known for, like, giving them trips or a pen or a watch because that's what they gave out as companies back in the 80s, I guess. But anyway, yeah. so I called my dad on his 30-year uh, anniversary or around there, and I said, hey, Dad, what did Lanier give you for your 30th year anniversary? And he said, well, they gave me a new sales quota. And if, you are, if you've ever been in sales or if you've ever, you know, like in your own company like, you know, or your company you work for, you have to work to produce. Um, you, you, you're never as good as what? Your last sale, right? You know, like ye yesterday was yesterday. And it's results, it's results, it's results, right? Production, production, production. And if we view our faith through production, especially instant production, we will be very disappointed in our faith. Same way with sports. It's the same, same way with, our, with the teams that we follow and the sports that we're involved with, the, the athletics we're involved with. Um, really, what, what defines success for a team? A win, right? A win is the defining measure of success for a team. Sean and I, as, as much as we're huge Georgia Bulldogs fans, we're, we're more, as my son, my nine-year-old son, we're more NFL guys, and we, we, we are Atlanta Falcons fans, man. And they're having a surprisingly great year. I'm waiting every week for them to totally disappoint. It could happen at 1 o'clock today. But anyway, a few weeks ago, they were playing the Seattle Seahawks, the most difficult place to play in the NFL. And so they were playing them there up in Seattle, and it was a close game back and forth. And at the end, they lost the game. And I'm not going to give you my commentary on why they lost, but it was... An, Totally illegal situation, but that's okay. I guess I just gave you my commentary, didn't I? Anyway, they lost, and Sean was really upset that they lost at the last minute. And I went into his room, and I said, hey, bud, man, it's okay. Um, you know, they played well. They played a tough team, a tough environment. That was a quality loss. I said that, that was a quality loss to my son, my nine-year-old son. Those words came out of my mouth. And then I thought about that. I came out in the living room, and I looked at Cynthia, and I said, there's no such thing as a quality loss in sports. What am I talking about here? It's because we are so focused as a society on results. And that's understandable in the business world, in the athletic world, and in the world of success. But if we view our act, please don't miss this, if we view our act of faith through the lens of results alone. My fear is, is that our faith will be weakened, not strengthened. Because none of these ever got to see 
the results of their faith. We've got two or three rows of our students here, and Todd Cooper's down, where are you, Todd? Somewhere down here, and back there. I don't know where he is. Anyway, he's, oh, there he is. He's right there. Awesome. Man, I'm so proud of you. We've got a whole two or three rows here of students up front. And a week ago, you guys were at Awanatah Valley, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a great place, isn't it? Some of you made important faith decisions last week. And parents, support them in those faith decisions. Because some of them made important decisions. And for some of them, the next few weeks and months will be difficult to keep those faith choices. And I want to encourage you guys to keep them because the payoff may not be seen for years. But that's the whole point of faith. It's for us to make those decisions. I would, by the way, I was called into the ministry when I at Awanata. That's a great place. It's an awesome place that God will use. Some of us make these decisions to, to act on what we feel like God is calling us to do, and we want instant results, and we miss this whole concept that the point of faith is not found in the results. It's found in the faith. And for some of you, um, that's going to be difficult to realize. Oswald Chambers, in, in his uh, uh, book, Run Today's Race, said this, Faith for my deliverance is not faith in God. Faith means whether I am visibly delivered or not, I will stick to my belief that God is good, that he is love. He says there are some things only learned in a fiery furnace. I love that. It's awesome. It's exactly what we're talking about. And so my lasting question for you today is, as we take that faith action, that thing that God's calling you to do or to stop doing, will you take that faith action, even if you know for sure that you will never see the good and positive and beneficial results of that faith action? Will you take it? Before you answer yes, consider that may be a difficult, difficult thing to wrestle with. Because for some of you, it may mean that you have to, in your business, stop doing that thing that you know is borderline unethical. Because God's calling you to be a man or a woman who is above board in your business. And you know that that thing that's kind of like borderline, man, it's borderline, it may not be illegal, but it walks the line. You know that thing is not of God, and you know for sure that he's calling you to stop doing that thing and to pursue things the right way, the, the, the honest way, the, the holy way, the righteous way. And you know that if you do that, it means that certain incomes will stop. God will honor that act of faith, but the results may not happen tomorrow, maybe years down the road, or you may never see it but you will have done the right thing. For some of you, the answer to that question, will you do the right thing even if you're certain that you won't see the results, means that you go to that person and you have that conversation about God that you know you're supposed to have for a long time and about his redemption story. And you know when you have that conversation, it may mean the end of the way that relationship is right now, but you do it anyway. Parents, parents, it may mean you start leading your family in a different way. Because God called you to do it. Even though it's going to be uncomfortable and it may cause you pain, but you do it anyway. Even though you may never see the results of that. 
For some of you, it may mean volunteering here in, 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 at Hilton Head Island Community Church or somewhere else, even though you know that that's going to cost you freedom and time. By the way, 50 of you signed up to be a part of that Thanksgiving uh, lunch or dinner that's taking place on Thanksgiving, and I'm, that community Thanksgiving thing Dave Busby told us about. I am so thankful for each one of you. I'm proud of you that we had 50 people sign up and be a part of the 400 volunteers that's needed. That is awesome that we are representing our community so well. Thank you so much for doing that. That's awesome. But volunteering, sometimes answering that call to volunteer to help lead an area means that it is going to cost you. And you may never see the payoff on that in your life. But you do it anyway. See, sometimes faith brought into some kind of realistic fruition can be elusive. But making those decisions to be faithful anyway is what God is calling us to do. That's the whole point anyway. And I want to leave you with this. As the writer does, Hebrews 11, 39 and 40. It says, in all these things, though commended through their faith, they did not receive what was promised. And check this out, verse 40. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they, those ones he's just talked about, should not be made perfect. Here's what he's trying to say, and this is where we're going to end with this whole series and where we're going to end today is that when you and I join in a faithful decision, when we join in a faithful lifestyle, when we join in that act of faith that we know that God's calling us to, it, maybe we've been struggling with it, maybe it was easy, but it, maybe it's large, maybe it's small, maybe the results or the, the impact is small or, or large, doesn't matter. When we do that, when we follow God in that faithful decision to follow him in that specific area, we join with those who have gone before us. There's a unity of faith across the generations that happens when we remain faithful. It's a mystery to me that we, we've had 2,000 plus years since Acts chapter 2 and the first church began. And over those 2,000 years, there have been multiple wars there have been multiple earthquakes and devastation, multiple hurricanes, we just felt that. Multiple kings and kingdoms and nations and rulers. The world is a mess over these last 2,000 years, yet the church remains because there's a remnant of God's people who remain faithful to him. And that's what he's calling us to. My grandmother, before she passed away, she was a biblical scholar and she... Um, gave me a bunch of books, um, and sorry, Katie, if I took some of yours. Okay, sorry about that. But anyway, um, she gave a bunch of books to me, and I've got them in my library. And one of them is by a guy by the name of John Phillips, Exploring Hebrews, and he ends this chapter, Hebrews 11, this way. He says, so the great appeal merges into the application. God, having provided some better thing concerning us, that apart from us, they, the ones who have gone before, should not be made perfect. And he says this, the Old Testament saints had only the shadows. Listen to this. We have the substance. That's Jesus. We have the substance. They had the good things. We have the better things. Their sphere and horizon was earthly. Ours is heavenly. Thus, the writer of Hebrews applies the lessons from all of the lives that he has been considering, applies them with the great leverage and tremendous pressure to the lives of Hebrew Christians to whom he wrote. This was written years and perhaps months before Jerusalem was destroyed in, eight, in 70 AD. 
69, 70, 80. Little did they know that their city and the temple would once again be destroyed and they would come under great persecution. We don't know what God has for us as a country or as a world. But God is calling those of us who call ourselves Christ follower to be faithful. And he ends this way. He says, the writer of Hebrews continues, and he says, go on, go on, never go back, go on in your faith, walk. Father God, I pray that you would be with each one of us here today. And God, whether or not we have huge decisions in our lives to make that are faith decisions, or whether they're small things that seemingly may not make a huge difference, God, each one of those choices and decisions and actions has an eternal impact. God, I thank you for these um, that we've read about, studied about, heard about over these past few weeks. Characters like Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and characters like Gideon and David and Barak. God, I thank you for their lives and I thank you that they were an example, but God, for us in this room today, for Hilton Head Island Community Church, and all of those who are in the sound of my voice, God, I pray that we would be people who don't just pursue, presume that everything will work out all right. God, I pray that we would be people of great faith. That when we have the opportunity to do that bold, perhaps dangerous, perhaps risky thing for you, that we would answer the call, that we would be faithful. And God, when we have those things that you're calling us to do, those things that we may know beyond a shadow of a doubt right now that we need to leave behind, and those things that we need to pursue right now when we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're calling us to a lifestyle or to an action or a behavior, it's different, that's more honoring of you. God, I pray that we would be people who pursue it, even if we don't see the results. Even if we know we'll never see the results. God, I pray that we would be people just like those who went before who didn't get to see the results of their great faith. May we be people who are a part of that unity of the faith, joining in with those who have gone before us, but also setting the stage for those who come after may we be a generation who in this time of darkness, God, remains faithful to you. God, I pray that you would help each one of us in the midst of our own personal storms, in our own crisis, in our own doubt, fear, anxiety, sadness. God, I pray that we would be people who run to you, the one who can anchor us the one who could provide stability, the one who can provide hope. And we thank you so much for that. In your name we pray.